cultivating the radiant heart and uh, so the, the meditation that I substituted just guided us through earlier and the chant that we did is is the way to develop that radiant heart in a practical way in the sitting and maybe it's easy maybe it's not easy but it's worth putting in the effort because it is profoundly transformative if you do that and uh, just reflecting on the, um, in, in the Buddha's teaching he speaks a lot about the importance of how we take care of our mind you know it's, it's, it's body, speech and mind it's, it's everything but what we're doing with our minds is very very important so uh, you know, there's the very famous quote from the Dhammapada about mind being the forerunner of all things and if we if if we speak and act with a um, a mind that's uh, filled with ill will, harmful thoughts, then then trouble will follow us. And if we uh, and and if we speak and act from a mind that is uh, that is well, then happiness will follow us. And we live at a time when it, there's a, there are a lot of challenges to remaining well at mind because we hear a lot about um, people and systems that are not well that have an enormous amount of power in the world and subsequently over our lives so uh, it's it, the easy way is to get overwhelmed and to feel hopeless and to give up and uh, that's the, well, it's, it isn't the easy way, but it seems easy. It's actually very hard to live from that place. But it seems like the, the, the response, you know, oh gosh, it's all too much, it's all too big, it's all too far gone. It's impossible. So just give up. But here you all are at a day long, or a day or two day practice on cultivating the radiant heart. So you must have a little glimmer of hope in there somewhere. <laughs> and um, it's, it struck me quite recently looking at, I, I, was at, I was on a family retreat here up the hill, uh, co-teaching earlier this year, of last, uh, last month actually, and um, the theme was, was generosity. And so I was looking through the suttas, you know, what does the Buddha say about generosity? And the first thing I found was the Buddha saying, don't try and teach people who are not generous to be generous, because you'll only make them mad. <laughs> that was the first thing, and it's like, wow. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, if you, if you know people who are generous, then encourage them to be generous, because then they will, then they will act from that generosity, then they'll feel good about it, then their bodies will relax, their minds will relax, they'll, they'll have a sense of joy and, and their minds will, and body and mind will be in a wholesome state and, and will support the practice. So it struck me that that's really about, it's not about you should be generous and you should give to people, but it's about making the mind, aligning the mind with what is, what is wholesome. And and if somebody's you know, and if if trying to teach somebody to be generous is going to make their mind 
more unwholesome, don't do it. You know, but if it's going to bring more wholesome qualities, then that's good. I found that quite surprising, and um, and you know, likewise, we can we can think, I can't cultivate the Brahma Viharas because it's because you know the world is in too much of a mess, or because of this really difficult person I live with or I work with who who just makes it impossible for me to have these wholesome feelings. And we can believe that, you know, it can be very believable and it, you can, one can feel stuck because, you know, you kind of feel overwhelmed again and again by the, the heaviness of, the, of the, the big picture or the little picture that you're in that, that isn't supporting those qualities to arise. And you might think like, oh, if only, you know, if only the people I worked with were perfect, you know, saints, everything, and then I would be able to cultivate loving kindness, you know, if any people weren't being angry at me, or weren't, weren't mean, or weren't uh, careless, then, then I could cultivate loving kindness, because then it would be easy, but when has the world ever been like that, really? So, these, uh, these qualities are to be cultivated for, for, well, for one's own well-being, and for the well-being of the many folk, of, of all beings, not just people. All beings in all realms benefit from cultivating these qualities. And uh, I really, you know, I don't, I, 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 I don't want to deny that there is a lot happening at this time that is a cause of distress. And um, I was re- recently listening to a, just a short talk of a, a Native American man who was reflecting on what's happening right now. Uh, so there was, you know, at the border, children are being separated from their parents, which is a terrible, terrible thing. And now we know the long-term effect of that as well. So it's, it's terrible now, and it's terrible for potentially generations. It is a terrible thing. And then he pointed out, it is a terrible thing, and this isn't new. So, you know... Native American children were taken from their parents, put into boarding schools, taught to become like white people, and uh, slave in the, during the slave times, children were separated from their parents without any really sense of, of, of there being a family unit, just like this person's useful for that, that person's useful for that, that person's not useful. So these things have been going on for a very long time and uh, they are terrible and, and deeply destructive and they're not new. And uh, it's, it's going to get a little heavy, I mean, it is a bit heavy the whole thing, but also with the Amazon now, you know, the Amazon burning. So uh, this is a, a terrible thing to witness. Uh, and again, I was reading uh, a, a a statement from a woman, uh, a, doc, a PhD, who who is who is um, from that part of the world and who has has dedicated her life to studying and taking care of the, the forest. And she was saying, the, the the Amazon rainforest, unlike the forests in California, the Amazon rainforest doesn't naturally burn. It doesn't just catch fire and burn. Here. It does. It's, it's meant to. It's part of the ecosystem here, actually. But in the Amazon rainforest, that doesn't happen. 
so if, if what and she was saying what has actually happened is that there's been a clear cut of forests in order to make um, pasture for growing cattle, for making beef, for supporting places that do fast foods, burgers that get eaten in America and other places. And so the, the, many months ago, that part of the forest has been clear cut and those trees have been lying there and now that they've been lying there long enough, they're, they're burnable and they've been set on fire. So that's what we're seeing. It's man-made, conscious, intentional. And, uh, and when I read that, I felt this kind of like, oh gosh. And I remembered, I'm, I'm over 50 now, 50, a little bit over 50. When I was in high school, my father, who was interested in all, you know, paid attention to all this kind of stuff, told me about you know, in the Amazon rainforest, they're cutting down huge numbers of trees in order to make pasture, in order to grow beef, in order to have places like McDonald's. And uh, and so I, I have to say, I've only the only time I've ever been in McDonald's is to use the bathroom. <laughs> That's it, because I know what's happening behind the scenes. And, uh, and I don't want to single out that one company. There are others, and you know, who are, who are benefiting from profiting from the same. Destruction, and that was many, many years ago. He told me that, and then here I am in my fifties, like hearing the same thing and feeling like, "Wow, what are we doing? How crazy!" Such a precious, and I, I'm a, I'm a great f- lover of forests, also. So, and it, it's it's such a precious thing. It's not just about trees growing. Trees is is a whole ecosystem. It's 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 a, it's a a living system that is destroyed, so that we can have cheap food in in wealthy countries. And uh, so these things have been going on for a long time, and and, and global warming. For, you know, the first time I heard about global warming was when I was eighteen. Somebody told me about global warming and gave me a, a flyer about it and said, "This is really, this is really important. This is a really big deal, and people aren't paying attention. And one day, people are going to realise that this is actually a really big deal." So that was a long time ago. I'm fifty-one now. And now people are just beginning to say, oh gosh, you know, help, help, what a mess we're in. And we don't know whether we can turn it around or not. We really don't know at all. And uh, and meanwhile, you know, we're certainly not making great swathes to do that. The Amazon is burning, Bolivian forests are burning. You know, in, in California... Uh, in the old days before white people were here when native people lived as part of the environment which is kind of how all creatures all animals, all beings live which we are part of um, the the forests would, would be managed in such a way and, and also meadows in such a way that it was beneficial to kind of everyone so um, some, uh, not not with an idea of forest management, but just by living, by by burning wood, by cutting undergrowth um, for, for hunting, be cutting undergrowth so you could see a quarter of a mile ahead of you, and then in doing that, you you lessened the amount of fuel there was when the natural fires came through. So the fires would come through and they would sweep through, and some trees would die and some wouldn't. Some would recover. 
and uh, you know, and then different plants would grow, would regrow after the fire, and that was just normal. That's what that was. That was the ecosystem. And plants in this part of the world have evolved in such a way. Some plants that they actually even need fire. You know, that, that fire helps them. So it helps the seeds to generate. So nature can adapt uh, when it's not overburdened. And we are part of nature. The human race always has been. We've just forgotten. <laughs> and, and we've thought, we think that we can control nature and we can, and we can have what we want, when we want. And uh, even, the, even the idea of, of manifesting our desires is a, is a kind of a dodgy concept, actually. Because yes, we can do that, but at what cost? Who's paying for that somewhere? So, uh, so these things have been going on for a long time, the things that we're seeing now. And now we're kind of, it's like the mask has cracked and, and you know, the mask of, of uh, you know, the life of leisure and plenty has, has cracked. And we're seeing the, the consequences of that and it's scary. And it's tragic. And, uh, and like I say, we don't know what's next. So, in a way, it seems to me that the the teaching of you know one of I think one of the reasons that it is so difficult is that we've been living in this dream of we can. We can be who we want to be. We can, we can live the life we want to live. We can, we can take you know, and use the land to get what we want from it. And uh, we, can, uh, you know, we can tread on other people to get big and powerful and important. And that's been happening for a long time. And it's, it's a kind, there's a kind of a madness to it. Because we get that, we maybe do get those things for a little while, and then what? And then at some point we grow old, we get sick, we die. Or maybe we don't even get the chance to grow old. We get sick, we die, and we leave it all behind. Or maybe we leave it on to our, our next generation. And we've got out, we're looking in this little tiny way of like me and mine and what I've got and what's what I'm going to pass on and, and what I'm going to protect from everyone else. And uh, that way of living is not is not a natural way. It isn't in accordance with nature. So, if we live in accordance with nature, and in accordance with Dharma, actually, it's a it's a relationship. It's all about relationship, and so relationship with the 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 plants that we're eating, or the animals that feed us or clothe us. Or the you know the, the people who are working that we are benefiting from and the work that we do that benefits others is all is all interrelated or as, as Thich Nhat Hanh says interbe there's this interbeing and the Buddha gives an image of um, in the old days so my grandparents used to speak about this so I have a sort of image of it in my mind but in the old days. Um, when they would be harvesting like wheat and, and uh, grains and stuff, 
So you know, you'd have a, be out there with the scythe, and then you'd you'd tie a bundle of the of the sheaf. You'd have a sheaf of wheat or a sheaf of corn, and corn in the British sense. Sorry, let's call it wheat. Sheaf of wheat or rye or something, and and then you'd have all these sheaves, and you'd lean them against each other. So you don't want to leave them on the ground because then they can maybe get mouldy. But you lean them against each other. So you have a few, and you lean them against each other, and then that makes the the middle of a a stack, a haystack, and then you keep leaning them, and you get you can put a huge amount of weight there, and it's all just leaning on each other. And then if you start taking them away, you know there's not like something in the middle that's holding it all up. It's just held by that one's leaning on that one, and that one's leaning on that one, and and that and the whole of life is like that. All of this, the whole ecosystem, the whole of life, our our lives. Is all like that. So this is the teaching of dependent origination or of codependent arising. Everything's leaning on everything else. And that's how it is, the way it is. So when you know that, at least for me, when I know that, um, it makes me, it gives some incentive to cultivate something good here because what is this what is this you know what can i what can this one bring into this ecosystem that we are part of is it just going to be like i'm just going to keep consuming and and just remain unconscious because it's all too much i can't bear it or uh, you know not get out of bed in the morning because i don't know how to deal with the day or is it recognizing oh gosh yeah this is hard is a hard one and it's not new and it, things have, like this have happened before even you know like the ice age you know, like, that was a pretty big deal <laughs> and yet life goes on you know so so um, just recognizing like yeah it's challenging and here I am right now at this time who knows why? But here I am right now at this time in the world, at this time, with this going on. And then with this incredible blessing of, of uh, being, being, having access to the teachings, liberating teachings. So, you know, the Buddha is pointing to ultimately the world cannot fulfill us. The world is not stable. Life is vulnerable. We will die. There is no way around that. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know where, but we can know for sure that that's going to happen sooner or later. And knowing it, you know, it, keeping that reality at a distance is, keeps it scary. If you don't want to think about it, it becomes this big thing that you try not to think about. No, I'm not thinking about that. But if you bring it in, the reality of our mortality, it's kind of a relief. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's coming, you know, it's just part of life. And, and, then, and the mystery of it is that when you're really with that as a, as a, as a, a present reality, it brightens everything up. Suddenly it's like, oh yeah, and, and right now I'm here. 
And right now there's this happening. There's this opportunity. And so what, So how am I going to meet that right now? Because this may be the last moment of my life. It's this powerful, it's a powerful reflection. So these, these practices of, of cultivating the Brahma Viharas are a, a, an extremely skillful way of meeting life, really. And some, you know, if we if we go through them in order, like I should have loving kindness for all beings, and but I really can't stand that person, and, and and I should have compassion for all beings, but why are they doing that? They know what they're doing. Why are they doing that? You know, and I should have uh, appreciative joy for everyone's well-being, and and then there's all of those guys just like ripping us off and enjoying the money, and no, and you know, I should have equanimity, but. No, I don't have it. I feel really freaked out, and you know. So it might be like that that we that we think of them, and then we think of like how we can't we can't do it because of all these reasons. Because the world isn't aligning up for us to have those good wholesome qualities, but it's not going to line up, and we can have them anyway. So metta friendliness. I was actually reflecting on, on a, you know, the, this image of the baby, you know, of, of uh, having met uh, like a mother has for their only child, and you know, babies. Is the baby is, is you know, they, they're gorgeous and constantly needing attention. Not constantly. I mean, they sleep a little bit here and there, but needing a lot of attention. Me, me, what I need, what I need, and you know. Mothers spend a lot of time clearing up vomit and spit and poo, and you know, there's a lot of that goes on. And and yet, you don't, they're not like the mother, hopefully, a good mother isn't saying, I can't stand this baby, you know, I'm just cleaning up shit every day. And you know, it's like, it's just part of what it's like to take care of a little vulnerable being, you know, who doesn't know how to live yet in any more than breathing and eating and. And letting out what needs to be let out, you know. So, so a mother is okay with that. Maybe sometimes a little tired of it, you know. But it's okay. It's just part of the deal. And you know, the baby's screaming, and there's an understanding. Oh, and maybe a little bit later on, and teething. You know, it's painful. So the baby's going to be crying a lot. And so there's this sense of like. Understanding that they can't, they actually can't help it yet. So there's a love there for them, and there's a care. And in some ways, it is like that. With you know, when people are lost in their greed and their hatred and their delusion, it's like they don't, they can't see what they're doing. Well, they think they can. They think they're doing great. You know, making lots of money and at the expense of who cares? And you know, they think they're doing great, famous celebrities and all that and, and yet there's a blindness there that's, that's causing enormous harm which we're all aware of and, and as I, again it, this isn't new this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years all over, you know, in different parts of the world at different times so there's a sutta, I, I, I won't be able to kind of reel the whole thing off, but there's a sutta where the Buddha speaks about ways of of, um, of, of letting go of resentment. 
And again, this is the, this is the thing of like resentment is an unwholesome mind state. So he's concerned about how we take care of our minds and our hearts. And uh, and he gives this image. He says uh, a forest uh, a forest monk or nun who wears rag robes. So in the in the in the Buddha's time in in India, cloth was very very precious. You know, and so to be able to obtain enough cloth to make a robe was like it was very difficult to get hold of enough, you know, to the cloth. And uh, even um, monks and nuns would go to charnel grounds, you know, where there were dead bodies wrapped in cloth, and take the cloth and wash it and make robes from that, because that's how hard it was to get hold of cloth. And so he gives this image of a, of a, a rag robe mendicant walking along the along the road, and they see this filthy piece of cloth on the road that's kind of pretty disgusting and then and so with one foot so they're just doing they're not touching with the fingers they're like with one foot <laughs> they're, they're holding it with one foot and they're spreading it out with the other foot and they're saying like is there anything there that's of any use at all and then they can see oh yeah there's a little bit a little patch there that's kind of good the rest of it's really just like punky and disgusting but there's a bit there it's okay, and so they kind of with one foot and the, uh, with their feet they tear off the bit that is good, and then they pick that up and they take it back and wash it and add it to their robe. So he's saying this is like someone who's this is like how to meet someone who is is has no good speech and no good action, whose speech and action are both harmful. You treat them like you 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 recognize like you know I don't want to get too close. Not going to make them my best friend, but is there a little bit of good in there somewhere? Can I find a little bit, a little bit that's actually kind of good or useful in there? And then when you find that, you keep that and you leave the rest. You leave that on the road, you just keep walking. I think that's sort of quite a powerful image. And uh, and then there's another image of, um, let me see if I can get it right, but someone who's um, who has, uh, who's, Bodily actions, uh, whose whose speech is is not good, who has you know harmful speech, but they they do good things, and then he's saying that's like uh, a pond, somebody who's tired and hot and exhausted, uh, and hasn't drank for a long time, finding a pond that's full of algae and and pondweed, and then they go they they get carefully they go into the pond and they clear away the algae and then they drink. The water from the pond. So saying that's that's like if you meet someone whose um, you know speech is really bad, but they they've got some good action. And then there's someone who has uh, unwholesome speech and action. You know, what they do and what they say is bad, but every now and again something opens and they they're okay for a while. They do something good for a while, and then it all clouds over again. And he said this is like. It, uh, if you're again, you're on a walk and it's a hot day and you're thirsty and you haven't got any water, and you find a little puddle that's been left by a, the hoof of an ox that's been pulling the cart. There's a little puddle and it's got a little bit of water in it, and you think, well, if I there's only not much in there, so if I reach down and scoop that up with my hands, I'm going to stir up all the mud. So you get down on your hands and knees and you reach right down to that little puddle of water and you slurp up the water without disturbing the mud. <laughs> so saying that's that's uh, the way to relate to someone who's 
you know, whose speech and action are harmful, but every now and again something there's something that opens up. So he's really pointing to don't don't never no matter what is going on, don't let your mind be overwhelmed with ill will and harmful intention. You know, f- try and find a way of, of taking what is what is valuable and what is good, and then that's you know that's within the bigger context of, of the way he encourages us to live. You know, following the eightfold path. But uh, I find those images very helpful because <laughs> sometimes you feel like, oh god, you know, it's just too much, and then it's like, well, is there just like a little, a little bit, and that and that sense of being thirsty. You know, you, it's like you want to find something. You want to find something good. You need to, really, because it's if it's if it's all bad. Yeah, you know, def- how do you get up in the morning? So you need to find something good, and then you just find that little bit, and like, okay. And you don't stir up all the mud. You leave that. You just take that good bit, and and then move on. So I think we need to learn how to do that. And uh, you know not be overwhelmed by the all of the terrible stories that we hear or, or not that I say not be overwhelmed we will get overwhelmed by them but then not to let that overwhelm completely swamp us but to keep developing those that those strengths of our own heart and mind and like I was saying about the, the garden bed uh, you know we might think that so, because uh, this is being recorded, so there's something I was speaking about earlier. So that we have this little hugel bed at the monastery now that that's one of the guests made, and um, and uh, it, it's it's a little it's like a little mound, long mound. So when the rain comes in the in the fall, it needs those that we need uh, plants in there that'll hold the earth together. And uh, if you just put one big plant in, that's not going to help. It'll just hold one little bit together, or it'll probably fall over. But it's it's uh, sowing the seeds for lots of little plants to grow that that will hold that earth together. And and I and I feel that that's our work to take care of the seeds in here, the seeds of goodness, the seeds of kindness, the seeds of patience, the seeds of compassion, the seeds of appreciating what is good and we need to we need to nurture those seeds within us so that we can be part of that fabric that holds things together when the big rains come and still we don't know maybe the rains will wash it all away we don't know yet but at least you know there's a possibility of things uh, holding together so you know, with the with the recollection of of death, which is very very absent from this culture, not from all cultures, but this culture is very absent. Um, it gives us a, a reality check, and it and it gives a certain letting go. So, yes, we are all going to die of something, and even you know. Like everything that comes together has to fall apart. Everything, everything, everything. This is the Dhamma. This is the the nature of things. This is the law of the way things are. 
Everything that comes together has to fall apart. So the, this planet Earth will one day fall apart. I don't think it's going to be soon, actually. I think the Earth will has amazing um, ability to, to regenerate and recreate itself. But uh, human race, I, I don't know. Not sure what we're doing. So in the meantime, to do the best we can, you know. And the Buddha says, also says you know, when the when the world is on fire with aging, sickness, and death, do good and benefit beings. It's like we can't stop that happening, but and because it is happening, take the opportunity. Take the opportunity to do something good while you're here. So I'm going to end with a, a, a little poem from my friend Maddie, Maddie Weingast. And this is um, from a book that is um, going to be published. It's going to be out in February 2020. And uh, um, so... It's a it's a rewrite. It's a, it's a kind of a that's not maybe quite right, but it's a it's a intuitive rendition or translation of the Terigata, the verses of the awakened nuns who were alive at the Buddha's time. And uh, there are seventy three poems in all, and he's done a, a very unusual and contemporary and, in my opinion, beautiful. Um, uh, free kind of translation of these poems, but keeping the integrity of the the message of each of these nuns. And this is a poem by the nun Tissa, which means the third. Why stay here in your little dungeon? If you really want to be free, make every thought a thought of freedom. Break your chains. Tear down the walls, then walk the world a free woman. Why stay here in your little dungeon, the dungeon of our minds, the smallness that we create in our minds? If you really want to be free, make every thought a thought of freedom. Break your chains, tear down the walls, then walk the world a free woman. So the, these qualities that we're speaking about of uh, metta, friendliness, karuna, a wish that all beings are free from harm and any intention to harm, mudita, like appreciative joy, and upeka. Um, Madhi, he, he, he translates, he, he starts from the Pali with all of these. And for, and, uh, for upeka, he, he uses the word perspective which I find more useful than equanimity. So when you look at the, the, the Pali etymology, perspective is, is quite a good translation. So it's about looking at things with a, with a bit of a distance, but not, not dissociated distance, but just having a perspective on things. So that can be a useful reflection. So And when cultivated, these four qualities are... Uh, referred to as liberating. So the Buddha uses the word vimuti, which means liberating. So it's a temporary liberation of the mind. The mind is freed 
while while one is cultivating these qualities, the mind is freed from greed, hatred, and delusion. It's it's in a wholesome state. So the more we cultivate them, the more we are living from that place of liberation. So it's your choice. And not to, you know, like I said before, not to think it should be easy or, you know, it's, it takes it takes time and it takes also a certain amount of of um, creativity and investigation, like how how to make this work for oneself. So when I first started practicing metta, it was like, oh my goodness, you know, I've got this little kind of beaten up heart that kind of scared to even look out and let alone start radiating loving kindness for all the world and and so I had to kind of be creative in like how do I start to transform this so that practice that I was teaching about breathing in metta and letting that surround the heart that's a really good start that that gives the heart a, a safe place within which to start to peek out <laughs> and maybe un, unfold a little bit and 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 then start to take in that quality and uh, transform. So, you know, some people will just immediately connect with that quality and just be radiating across the cosmos, which is wonderful. But, you know, you have to just know what is going on for you. How is it for you? And what do you need to do to connect with that liberating uh, quality of mind? So I offer that today. So now we have another uh, session of walking meditation. And if somebody can ring the bell uh, four o'clock, then we meet ten past four for our last sitting. And also, I just wanted to say. Uh, Romy said that if you want to leave your things here, if you're planning to come back tomorrow, she would, it would be fine. And because she's going to um, um, lock the building at 5.30 and then if you want to leave some of your things here, that you can do that. It's going to be safe.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.